2: not absence of fear, Mark Twain. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. The true neighbor will risk his position, his prestige, and even his life for the welfare of others. In dangerous valleys and hazardous pathways, he will lift some bruised and beaten brother to a higher and more noble life, Martin Luther King. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We are programmed by, for, and with creative young people—a platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, creator and producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the Airwaves as an outreach service of the Be the Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and Great Nonprofits. Before we get into today's show, Be the Star You Are is awesome volunteers, and I want you to urge to check out our website at btsya.org. Go to the events tab to find exciting events we have coming up, and also visit us at expressyourselfteenradio.com to check out past editions of our show. I'm Siri Panindra, and today's Express Yourself show revolves around the gift of courage.
3: And I'm Kenneth Jun. For this first segment, we'll be reading a chapter from our brand new anthology entitled Be The Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, Celebrating Gifts of Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World, and one chapter from Be The Star You Are's first book, Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts for Loving, Living, Uh, Laughing, and Learning to Make a Difference. Both chapters revolve around the importance of courage and will act as inspiration for today's show. Uh, First, we will be reading a chapter by Afsana Rahman, who was a Be The Star You Are teen volunteer at the time of writing this. And without further ado here is our first chapter in 1875 while william ernest henley was hospitalized he wrote the poem invictus that later inspired nelson mandela to persevere through 27 years of imprisonment on robin island invictus is lion for undefeated i am the master of my fate i am the captain of my soul to harness such strength and character is not an easy challenge to overcome adversity we must command courage
2: when i was in middle school I had to prepare a speech for history class about the devastating effects of radiation from the atomic bombing in 1945. I was reading my first sentence aloud but couldn't continue because the class was so noisy. The teacher scolded my classmates, but her instructions for silence weren't enough. To my dismay, the student creating the biggest disruption was someone with whom I thought I was on good terms. We weren't close, but we joked around and engaged in lighthearted conversations. We had mutual friends, and we saw each other frequently. I approached her and politely asked her to listen to my speech. Embarrassed to be called out, she looked down and muttered, Ugh, whatever you terrorist. I was shocked, hurt. I never thought she would view me this way, let alone express such hateful sentiments aloud. I was conflicted. In that brief moment, I had a choice. I could ignore her and continue with my speech, or I could confront her.
3: I wanted to confront her, but I was fearful. I was afraid that the result of approaching her would create a bigger problem, escalating the situation to disciplinary involvement from the administrators. I didn't want the discomfort of having to defend my actions. I didn't know if defending myself was worth it. I was afraid that I would be labeled a snitch. I didn't want to weaken my other friendships or make myself more vulnerable to ridicule. However, I was tired of being defined by such impotence. I was tired of being labeled for being myself. Uh, Why did she call me a terrorist? Was it because I wear a scarf around my head? Was it because my skin is brown? Was it because I'm Muslim? Was it because of my foreign ethnicity? Was it all those reasons or simply because I am different? Whatever was the reasoning behind her cruel labeling, I knew that I did not deserve this treatment. I I I needed to prove to her that no one deserves discrimination because of skin color, religious beliefs, or country of origin. I needed to prove myself and others like me that we have the ability to be brave and resolute. I wanted someone to defend me, to stand up for me, to be my protector, and to shout, No, you cannot say such a thing.
2: That day, I became that person. A little courage was taken, was all I took. I confronted her. She didn't deny it, but she didn't care either. Even after she had to write an apology letter to me, her response didn't matter to me. What was important was that I stood up for myself, for all of us who may be labeled different. Her insults were not faced with silence nor an acknowledgment that her false accusations could hold a trace of truth. She did not defeat me. The reality of who I am and what I stand for deserves to be told by me. My voice merits being heard. Having courage opens opportunities, new doors, and perhaps even a new world. Acquiring courage is not a comfortable task. It involves taking risks and dealing with the consequences. It involves stepping out of your comfort zone into new, uncharted territory, The main obstacle you must face within yourself amidst all of the struggles is fear. Fear can be immobilizing. But remember what Franklin D. Roosevelt beautifully said in his inaugural address, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Once you conquer this emotion, you will be unstoppable.
3: A few months later, my math teacher told me that while having a conversation with that prejudiced student, without even mentioning the incident to her, the girl confided that she felt remorse. She knew in her heart that what she said was wrong. I often wonder if I hadn't spoken up, hadn't defended myself, would she have regretted calling me a terrorist? I don't know the answer to that rhetorical question. What I do know is that from mustering a sliver of courage, I showed everyone in that classroom who I was. I showed her that I am brave and proud, and more importantly, I proved to myself that I am fearless. Unfortunately, there have been many similar incidents throughout my young life in which I have faced racism, prejudice, and discrimination because of my ethnicity, my religion, my wardrobe, the way I look, and the list goes on. What I have learned from each of these hateful experiences is that cowardice is not empowering. By having courage, confidence, and acceptance, we can stand up for ourselves with dignity while being true to our values. Nora Ephron wrote, Above all, be the heroine of your life, not the victim. Life is filled with challenges. Take the opportunity to down a cape and leap over the cliff. It's okay to be scared. With courage, you'll fly.
2: And now for the gift of courage. It was 1961. America was in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis. World War III seemed hours away, and we prayed that President Kennedy would find a way to save the nation. My grammar school was located 20 miles from a major California military base, which we were assured would be a target for Russian bombs. The school held daily air raid drills while U.S. jets roared overhead. For months on end, we were all terrified. The school had an evacuation plan. When war broke out, students would be loaded on school buses and driven to the small town of Chico, several hours away in Northern California. Parents received a letter explaining that they would be reunited with their children after the danger had passed. My parents' immediate response was, no our children will not ride a bus to disaster. They reasoned that the roads would be jammed and a big yellow bus would be an easy target.
3: From our vantage point today, this may all seem rather naive. Why, if the Russians had nuclear missiles, would they send short-range, low-flying Russian planes crisscrossing above rural California to strafe cars and buses? But it was a time of national fear, and the first casualty was logic. My parents decided that if we were all going to die, they wanted us to be together, They notified the school that they would come for their children in case of an attack. Then my mom and dad went into action. Mom prepared a tiny sheltered hideout in a small windowless hallway with plenty of food, water, ammunition, and blankets. Dad outfitted his World War II Willie Jeep like an armored tank. He camouflaged it, put a grater on the front, added special tires, and loaded it with chainsaws, wire cutters, rifles, extra gasoline, food, a tank, of water for putting out fires, sleeping bags, shovels, and enough survival equipment for the four of us. His plan was to reach us by driving 15 miles overland, going through the hills and creeks, avoiding the roads. He would cut wires, knock over fences, and destroy anything that got in the way of rescuing his two daughters.
2: Dad mapped out his route and walked the land to make sure it was feasible. We had rehearsals and drills. We camped out in the hallway hideout several nights to make sure we could fit. No one could stretch out, but we could all sit. We went on run-throughs with the Jeep. My dad's courage was indescribable. I'm sure he was scared, but he didn't show it. He took control of a terrible situation and did the best he could to remedy our fears. My dad's determination to risk his own life us, helped us believe that we would not fail to rescue us. There was nothing mediocre about him. He was a gentle giant on a mission possible. I can still hear him giving us our evacuation instructions, making sure we would run to the safety of our hiding place at the school convent as we awaited his arrival. Even as I write this today, I'm choked with tears.
3: We were the only kids in our school whose parents had devised a separate rescue plan. We had a secret meeting place at the school convent, and we knew with certainty that our father would take care of us. Dad was always our protector, our hero. We felt completely safe in his presence. We were convinced that we would survive the war, and sometimes we thought we would be the only family alive at the end of the battle, thanks to his bravery. Dad was our unwavering warrior. Fortunately for the entire world, the Cuban Missile Crisis was resolved, but the courage, boldness, and love that Mom and Dad expressed for us during those terrible days are part of our hearts and souls. The words courage and Dad are inseparable in my mind. He will forever be a hero to me. Courage comes in many shapes and sizes. It doesn't mean you're fearless, only that you have controlled your fear. Not everyone will have to face a war, but every one of us fights numerous small battles. Our true grit and our inner strength determines how we respond. Everyday living requires risks, and risks require courage. It takes courage to stretch yourself, to go out on a limb, to stand up for something you believe in. It takes courage to say no and mean it when everyone else is saying yes. Not settling for mediocrity takes courage. A life of service and fulfillment takes courage. My good friend, Father Pat McGrath, advises, success is never final. Failure is rarely fatal. What counts is courage. Dad said no to the mandate that all the students ride that yellow bus. My personal model for courage will always be my father's valiant labor labor, and his determination to save his family from disaster.
2: And now for the exercise. No is a complete sentence. I want you to stand straight, rib cage up, shoulders back, and have a good posture position. Firmly and energetically say, no. Do this three times. Use your eyes, your body, your powerful being to express yourself. Try it in different voices. No, no. Wow, yes. that was definitely a good discussion.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think like the points that brought up were brought up in, uh, both of those chapters are something that... Uh, you could really apply to a lot of different situations in daily life, um, yeah, especially with uh, uh afsana's first chapter um, talking about standing up for yourself and uh, being fearful that taking that kind of action would make yourself uh, more vulnerable in the eyes of your peers um yeah that, I think that's something that a lot of kids have to go through um even in small different interactions um throughout their lives, like if a comment or something hurts you. Um, it's you shouldn't be scared to stand up and draw the line and say, oh, I'm not really comfortable with something like that, and actually let other people know how you feel instead of trying to be so worried about how other people will judge you.
2: Yes, definitely. And I remember in my history classes, we learned a lot about the civil rights movement, and it was rare for people to be courageous. And we had people like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks who stood up for themselves, and I look to them as role models because they were so brave to stand up for their rights, and I think schools are doing a fantastic job, you know, teaching history, and history is super important because you learn the actions of courageous people, and, you know, hopefully you take that and you uh, take the initiative to use it in your own life. And I found a super interesting fact today, and it's called the five-second rule, and Basically, it says that if you have a desire or wish to do something, you must physically move in five seconds, or your brain will interfere and say, do not do it. So if you want to go and talk to your teacher about something you saw, then you have to physically move in five seconds, or your brain and your mind, they'll all say, do not do it. So five seconds, guys.
3: (laughs) That's wow. Okay. Is that really a thing? Wow. I... I guess I can kind of understand, yeah, um, I think that's kind of something I've been doing subconsciously now that you've actually put it into words. Um, Yeah, trying to overcome self-judgment and just being scared of, oh, all these different possibilities that might get in your way. Uh, Yeah, I think, not to say that someone should act recklessly, but, you know, taking that step and trying to just not concern yourself with all those different possibilities that might go wrong, um, it's, yeah, it's a good idea to just take that leap and, not have to be so burdened with um, your different worries.
2: Yes, courage is sometimes hard to, you know, incorporate in your life, but sometimes you just have to remember that fear is just chemicals. They're just these neurotransmitters in your brain and it's nothing. And I think it was Nelson Mandela, but someone said that, you know, the actual fear is fear itself. is not anything that you think it is. And as we will talk about in our next segments, you know, Meditation or taking deep breaths, they're very important so that you can incorporate courage in your life.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd like to thank Afsana and Cynthia for contributing her, uh, their excellent chapters for courage. Uh, I think it definitely provided for some interesting discussion on today's theme, and I think it's a great opener for our show. Uh, We are out of time for this first segment, but audience, be sure to support our show and these amazing segments by donating to the Be The Star UR 501c3 literacy charity that brings you this program. Uh, Be The Star UR desperately needs your donations to help us help those in distress by providing books and other resources. Operation Wildfire Disaster Relief Fund is an ongoing outreach program to help survivors of natural disasters. We need donations to help ship much appreciated books to victims. Please donate today at www.bethestarur.org. You can even donate through PayPal Giving Fund with no additional fees. I'm Kenneth Chan.
2: And I'm Siri Panindra. And you've been listening to today's Gift of Courage, themed edition of Express Yourself Teen Radio, brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity. Make sure to watch Be The Star You Are's fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash Be The Star You Are. Be sure to also pick up our new anthology, Be The Star You Are, Min- Millennials to Boomers celebrating gifts of positive voices in a changing digital world at cynthiabryan.com online store. And also make sure to stick around as we continue our wonderful show on The Gift of Courage.
0: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America
1: TRN.
4: You can like and comment on the Voice America Empowerment Channel Facebook page. This is the place to get and share advice from some of the best leaders on the planet. Get started today by searching for Voice America Empowerment or click the like button under the player today.
0: listening to express yourself on the voice America kids channel where teens talk and the world listens express yourself is produced by star style productions LLC as an international outreach program of be the star you are charity for more information about our show visit express yourself teenradio.com now back to our star teens
3: welcome back thanks for staying with us here at voice America empowerment I'm Kenneth on Express Yourself, and today's show is all about the gift of courage. Uh, For this segment, we have an amazing guest named William Mayer with us today.
2: William Mayer has long taught history, economics, and humanities in urban and suburban high schools, where he has also taught meditation in a variety of forms.
3: He has worked with fellow educators in workshops and professional development courses, is the author of two published middle reader novels, and is currently working to augment his M.A. in Education from Harvard with a Ph.D. from NYU. And with that, we welcome William onto the show.
5: Hello. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Hi. Uh, Is it okay
3: if we call you Bill for the show? That'd be great. Thanks.
2: All All right. right, Let's get started. So you have practiced the art of meditation for over 26 years, and I'm amazed by that. And what is your story of how you got introduced to meditation? Were you exposed through a course or a book?
5: Yeah, when I was probably in middle school, um, my uncle got wind that I was interested in the practice. And I was living in Michigan at the time, and he decided to take me down to Detroit, actually the city of Hamtramck, which is a small community within Detroit, to meet a Buddhist monk. And I can still, and I and I mentioned this in the book. I can still remember that first conversation with Zanbo, and not necessarily the words, but the feelings that he instilled in me, and just his sense of being totally and completely present to the whole conversation. And from that moment forward, I was really hooked. And at first, meditation was just something I did to help my help me fall asleep at night, and then it became something I did before tests and sports games. And finally, it just became a part of my everyday routine. And that's sort of where I've gotten to being where I am today.
3: Wow. Um, How would you say your kind of mindset changed before and after uh, being exposed to this kind of meditation? Did you feel more at peace with yourself, more calm throughout the day? Or is it something more subconscious and abstract than that?
5: I think it's a little bit of both. And in fact, if I don't meditate for a few days, the feedback is so quick, I can start to see myself sort of dropping back into old ways. But I think what meditation offers me just as a a human being, but also as a teacher, is just greater clarity and greater clarity with my own thoughts, my own intuition, and Over the course of the day, things seem to just fall into place in an effortlessness that doesn't always exist when I don't meditate. And I think probably one of the reasons for that is when I'm not meditating, I'm generally rushing. I'm really focused on just like doing, doing, doing. And I I lose just a deeper flow that I think exists when we start to find stillness, we start to find a little peace, and we start to slow down.
2: Yes, I can I can definitely relate to these emotions because I also felt this like huge transition from before and after I started meditating. And it took me, I think, two, three months to actually get in the mode and to actually just block all of your thoughts. And I was wondering, how long did it take you to actually start meditating and completely let all of your thoughts go?
5: I I, I still struggle with that today and for me in in meditation it's not always about um, just blocking those thoughts but a deeper awareness of them and I like that metaphor of sort of the waterfall sort of flowing over me and I watch my thoughts like a waterfall. And what I what meditation allows me to do is is disconnect from those thoughts and be more objective with them, not mm-hmm. personalize them. And I think also it's not just thinking, but my emotions. And for me, meditation is a way not just to, to clear my mind, but to really drop into my heart and see what I'm feeling and hold what I'm feeling, good or bad. And in many ways, that allows me to move through those feelings when I often... And not able to do that, they resurface in very unproductive ways in the course of my life, my relationships, and even my work.
3: Oh, yeah. And you are a teacher, so, um, yeah, you have students. Um, do you find it easy for yourself to kind of uh, translate these feelings into words for your students? Do you find that your students kind of understand these, um, like, this state of being well? <laughs>
5: Yes, absolutely. And and I mentioned this in the book, but I really find that while students are a tough audience when it comes to meditation, if it's something tangible and if they can get something out of it, you know, adolescents, teenagers, they can drop into meditation in ways that adults can't. And I think what meditation also allows me to do is be more in touch with my own feelings, my own emotions, and to be a more authentic version of myself with my students. And in the classroom, and I teach 9th, 11th, 12th graders this year, I've, I teach basically all high school grades, but, but I find it is so important to be connected to the way I'm feeling. And that in, in many ways resonates with the students and they are able to connect with the way they're feeling. And then the classroom becomes a space that honors feelings, not just a place that ignores it. And and when we can honor those feelings and those expressions of ourselves, it just deepens the whole curriculum in ways that I think doesn't exist in a classroom that's just completely focused on content.
2: That's very true. I wish I had meditation electives offered at my high school, but... That's why I have to try making time, you know, apart from school. And I love how you have taken the initiative to spread meditation to school students, um, whether it's through an assembly, and on your website I saw a few pictures. And in your Three Breaths and a Begin book, you, expo- uh, you emphasized how a teacher can use meditation techniques each and every day, whether it's meditating on field trips or creating a space in a classroom. So for our teens listening, Do you have any recommendations for how high school teachers can make time for meditation or how schools can incorporate meditation into their curriculum?
5: Yeah, those are are great questions. And in all honesty, for me, while I was a practitioner for many years before I brought it into the classroom, it was through the invitation of students That I actually had the courage to begin guiding meditations within the school. It was actually a student who was conducting an independent study for one of his science classes. And he was curious about the benefits of mindfulness and he knew that I practiced meditation and he asked if I would join the study. And then from that study... We actually created a meditation circle, and that meets every Wednesdays. And then from that, I've been invited to lead meditations for sports teams and assemblies. Very rarely do I find myself um, sort of pushing a meditation agenda. And I think in that regard, students should recognize the power that they actually possess and when you're able to engage a teacher or you express curiosity about meditation or reflection or an opportunity to go outside and it's sincere, uh, I, there's very few times that I think a teacher or myself doesn't answer that in a positive way. And and I think if students recognize really the power that they have through their questions, through their uh, sincere curiosity, they could offer so much change. So I guess what I, I'm saying, if, if you're interested in bringing this into your school, ask about it. Take the lead. Ask your teachers. And as teachers, if you're interested in bringing this into the school, connect with the students who you think would be interested in doing this work. And it's it first starts with a very small circle, but it's amazing over the years how a simple circle of four, six, eight students spreads into something that fills the whole space of the school and the community.
3: Yeah. And you mentioned that um, young people have this ability to kind of um, have this state of being easier than um, adults. And you talked about how a student actually approached you. Um, Why do you think young people are more, um, I guess, compatible with meditation? I I think
5: one is, one of the benefits of sort of this obsession about standards and outcomes is students realize, like, this stuff isn't adding up. That there there has to be something else going on, and I think students are actually the victims of this obsessiveness that we have, and these curriculums that are just totally content driven and score and grade driven, and so um, they're open to an alternative, and and I have found that in my own in the life of my own students, uh, particularly with the stresses that they're dealing with, the anxieties that they're dealing with, and so for them they come with with a real hunger and desire to, to fully embrace this, where adults are often hesitant. There's more layers uh, of, I don't know, false identity, I guess. And it takes longer for them to get to those places or connect to their heart or their emotions in ways that students can. And I think that is a real benefit. The earlier the intervention, the more powerful it is And when I think about my own life, it really started at that transition at the the end of middle school, the beginning of high school, and it became a a compass that has served me in so many ways, expected and unexpected. And I think for students to have a tool like this or, or any reflective practice, it doesn't necessarily have to be meditation. It could even be journaling. Or just going for walks in, in nature. But any way in which you can connect to yourself or find moments to connect to yourself, you will be uh, surprised and empowered by how transformative that is.
2: Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. And I also, it's a coincidence that I started taking walks around my neighborhood and connecting to nature. And <laughs> that made me laugh. And you said, you know, whether you connect through nature or through meditation, it's really about finding your true self. And totally, totally. I had a question. So whenever I meditate, I, I try sitting in a quiet space, whether it's in the backyard with the birds chirping or whether it's in my room. And I wanted to ask you, what's the most unusual place you have led a group of students in meditation and why did you pick that place?
5: Um, one of the most unusual is I, I actually had led a, a group of students um, on a trip and we were we had gone first to Paris and then we left Paris and went to London. And we had the opportunity to take a couple days outside of London and visit Stonehenge and also the town of Glastonbury. And for, for those of you who aren't familiar with Glastonbury, or if you're not familiar with it, it's actually sort of connected to this mythical Avalon. And in the center of Glastonbury is this huge hill called the Tor. And some people see it as a three-dimensional labyrinth. And the students, we, we hiked up to the top of it together, myself and the other co-leader and uh, the 18 students. And it was actually, again, on their invitation, they said, Mr. Meyer, let's do a meditation up here. That we They laid down and I guided them in a meditation at the top of this tour. And it was just a surreal experience because... Kind of building on what you just mentioned, we were connecting to nature and at the same time connecting to ourselves. And I do, as a historian and a history teacher, I do believe space really has power. And if even as simple as when you're building your own personal meditation practice, be very intentional about the space you're creating and where you're creating it. And as time goes on, it's almost effortless when you walk into that space or that corner of your room. It's like you're just, your body knows what to do, and so does your mind, and it begins to meditate. And I think there are spaces on this planet that also have the capacity to drop us into deeper states. And when we're in those spaces, it's even a, a stronger residence and, and we can go even deeper with our meditation. So uh, that was a really, really cool place to meditate. And it was it was totally driven by the students and, and I just felt privileged to be a part of it.
3: Wow. Yeah, wait. Um, so yeah, um, talking about these different locations, uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so are you saying they're kind of like designated, uh, I guess, spiritual entry points located around the earth? Or do you kind of develop these own spots for your personal uh, meditation sessions, like the corner of your room or something? Or, yeah, or is it just a combination of both?
5: Oh, absolutely. It is both. So I think like on a very small scale, when you set that corner of your room for meditation or reflection, through almost the repetitive imprint of your meditations, you, I think you kind of energetically shift that space. I I personally believe my classroom, because I've, I've guided and been a part of so many meditations in it, has a different energy than other classrooms. And probably most students this resonates with because you walk into a classroom and you can almost feel a different energy, a shift, if you're if you're sort of open to that uh, based on the teacher or the energy and emotions. But on a larger scale, I really believe that's true of the planet. And I think indigenous communities and cultures were far more attuned with those spaces in those places. And um, when we're drawn to them, whether it's, uh, you know, the Giza Plateau or it's some of the spots, the locations of the Gothic cathedrals in northern France, or it's some of these pilgrimage paths uh, through Tibet and India, there's something that it's like, it's conducive and supports the work in a very deep and powerful way.
2: Wow. Maybe I can use that as an excuse to go traveling <laughs> to my parents, you know?
5: That's what, that's that's what, what I good. do. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so we kind of touched based on spirituality a little bit, and I wanted to ask you, how do you respond to people who say that meditation is something that has to do with religion or that it's a religious practice?
5: Yeah, I think I think that's a, a reality. I mean, I think actually if you look, and it's not just a single religion, um, and it, it, I think these contemplative traditions span the globe. And they're Eastern, they're Western, but the reality to me is it's beyond religion. I think there's just an innate human desire to connect with oneself, but at the same time, through connecting to ourselves, connecting to something bigger. And my response to um, people and adults and parents and kids who ask me these questions is you know, would in our ways, in what we're doing as meditators, we're not looking for a specific religious deity that we're connecting to. What I'm hoping students get out of the experience is a deeper connection to themselves and each other in the class. And that itself is very empowering. And rarely do I get pushed back to that, an answer like that.
3: Mm-hmm. And um, talking about finding personal connections, uh, do you find that students uh, kind of reach this connection in a variety of ways, or do you think that, or do you find that students' experiences are mostly similar in how they feel and how they think, or do you think, or do you find that like their experiences really vary across um, some kind of spectrum on whether what emotions go through their uh, mind? I guess.
5: Yeah, and again, I would say all of the above. I think when I lead meditations, at the end of all my meditations, I always make space for students to share their experiences. And rarely are two experiences the same. But what's so beautiful is the experiences students have in a guided meditation often come together to create almost a collective tapestry that that as a wholeness that an individual meditation doesn't have. And I think that's also true of our own journeys and paths and whether that is just, like I said before, listening to music, whether that is when you're connected through creative writing or art, like There are aspects of ourselves and paths to connecting to those aspects of ourselves that are, are far more expansive than just meditation, but it's so important to nurture those. I, I think the, th- the path that doesn't nurture that, that we have to be more aware of, is just our obsession with social media. And, and I think um, helping and supporting students move away from the distraction and the distortion that is so pervasive in their own lives uh, is, v- is very important. And it's not just about wellness, it's about wholeness. And I think meditation offers that, but so many other things do as well.
2: I wanted to ask you a question because I find this super interesting, how you incorporate meditation in your classroom. And do students find the energy in your classroom different from other classrooms that do not practice meditation? Is it like an environment that's different when you meditate?
5: Um, I probably couldn't have answered that question very well it it would have been based on assumption Mm -hmm. until about a week ago uh, we were doing some final reflections for a humanities course that I teach for primarily like 11th to 12th grade students and several students remarked in the reflections as we sat there that they noted when they left our class and went to after meditation and went to other class their friends noticed that they were different that there was like a Uh, A a sort of a a stillness, or they said a chillness, um, that didn't exist amongst the rest of the class. And I think that speaks to the power of the practice in shifting the energy in an individual but the whole room. And it's hard to tangibly quantify how that happens. But I think those anecdotal pieces and examples really speak to something that's different. I noticed that myself when I practice or don't practice in the course of my day. And I think so do the students in the classroom.
2: Unfortunately, we are out of time for this segment. But thank you so much, Bill. You know, I this really relates to me. And I think I've learned so much. Um. Make sure to stick around, listeners, though, as we'll be continuing the gift of courage on the next segment. Be sure to check out Bill Meyer's Three Breaths and Began or find more insight and information about the art of meditation on his website, www.billpmeyer.com. I'm Siri Panindra.
3: And I'm Kenneth John. Remember to pick up a copy of our newest anthology. Uh, the book is called Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, Celebrating Gifts of Positive Voices, Uh, in a changing digital world, which you can find on cynthiabryan.com slash store, Amazon, and other book retailers. Visit org for more information about our Express Yourself and Be The Star You Are. Make sure to keep listening as our show on The Gift of Courage continues.
0: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us
1: on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN.
4: You can like and comment on the Voice America Empowerment Channel Facebook page. This is the place to get and share advice from some of the best leaders on the planet. Get started today by searching for Voice America Empowerment or click the like button under the player today.
3: Our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. This edition of Express Yourself is all about the gift of courage. And for this final segment, we'll be continuing our discussion about meditation with my co-host, Siri Puninja, who actually has a lot of experience with meditation. Um, Hello. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, before getting into, I guess, details, uh, I want to ask, how did you actually become exposed to meditation and what what got you started?
2: So I was exposed to meditation, I would say, I think, three years ago, and it was the first Art of Living course that my mom took me, and I did not know what meditation actually was. I just remembered it being like something you sit down, you're calm, and after that course, um, it was like a two-day course, I felt so empowered. I definitely recommend meditating. Um, I have been doing it every morning and night, and it has become a habit for me. And thank you, mom, for that. Because I would say that's honestly super. It's it just changes your life completely.
3: Wow. Yeah. So you actually got it from a. You actually learned about it in a course. Um. What did that course exactly go over? Did they just kind of teach you how to, um, how to engage in a certain method of meditation, or about like the actual, I guess, uh, mental changes that happen with meditation.
2: So that course, it just got my feet wet into meditation, but when I actually started learning the methods, that came from another course, and this course was from Sadhguru, I'm not sure if you have heard of him, but it's called the Inner Engineering Course, and he taught us this method called Shambhavi, and essentially it's a set of steps where you take deep breaths, and it's like you have to do different motions with your hands. And I would say that's the actual method I learned, but the Art of Living course, that just got my feet wet into meditation.
3: Oh, okay. Um, So why do you think meditation is such an important contributor to health?
2: Many people feel stressed, especially me as a junior. I have so many things going on, adults, they also go through a lot of stress in their workplace, and I feel like there's not enough time in the day to simply breathe, and stress is not good for us. It releases bad neurotransmitters in our brain, and it changes our mood. It makes us unhappy, sad, frustrated. It can also negatively affect our health. And I want to add that Apple's Steve Jobs and Twitter's Jack Dorsey, all these people, they control their stress levels through meditation.
3: Wow. And um, when you meditate, um, what exactly happens? What goes through your head?
2: So I try making sure that nothing goes through my head. And I try focusing on my breath, um, because it's kind of hard to just like stop all of the thoughts from flowing. But I try focusing on my breath, or I try focusing on the music I play in the background, or the birds chirping, something that's kind of very calming and peaceful. Because there are a lot of things that run through my mind, and it's very important that you focus on something, whether it's your breath or some music or the birds chirping. Just all about focus.
3: Mm-hmm. And um, how would you exactly define meditation? Because you uh, earlier in the segment uh, with our guest, you also mentioned how about how you like go on walks throughout your uh, town and you know experience out, the outdoors and nature like that. Uh, would you consider something like that meditation or would you um, define, you know, when you kind of focus on your breathing, those kind of sessions more as a meditation session?
2: I think meditation personally is focus, whether you do it, whether it's like journaling or walking around your neighborhood. I I personally think that meditation is anything where you focus your mind on something and something could be that mantra or it could be music and I personally think it just turns one's attention away from distracting thoughts, and it just focuses on the present moment.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever found trouble motivating yourself to meditate?
2: When I first started meditation, it was kind of hard to make me sit in one spot for 30 minutes. Um, it definitely takes practice, and it can be you know, a little hard, but after um, doing sessions with my mom, I realized that... I'm getting motivation from myself. It's no longer her telling me it's time for our daily uh, meditation, but it's coming from the inside. So I think after you do practice sessions, you will start being motivated yourself. Mm
3: -hmm. And if you were to kind of get other people into it, other teenagers into it, um, what would you say or what would you do to try to encourage other people to meditate?
2: Definitely try it. I know that meditation seems like you know, religious, I guess some people say, but it's really not. And if you want to start a club at your high school, I know my friends and I, we started a club. It's like a yoga meditation club. And we have quite a few students who are interested. So definitely keep your mind open to meditation and just let go of your thoughts and try it once. And I promise it'll definitely make you want to come back.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah. And speaking of clubs and um, gatherings and things like that, yeah um i've heard a lot of people i've heard of a lot of people like getting together to meditate. Um, do you think it's easier or there's some added benefit to med- meditating with other people as opposed to just doing it alone?
2: I personally find meditating with other people it has some advantages. so when I went to the inner engineering course, there were thousand to two thousand people in one room. It was this humongous room, and everyone was meditating and I could feel the room environment change like all of the vibrations of everyone meditating together it just it just made the room super positive and it depends on yourself you know do you meditate better when you're alone when it's quiet when you can just breathe or do you meditate with a positive vibration in the room I feel it's like a personal choice but I find meditating with others super good.
3: Mm-hmm. Um How do you work meditation into your schedule? Do you do it every day? Um, How long do you do it if you do every day?
2: I do it for about 30 minutes every day. Um, Now that it's summertime and I have more time on my hands, I I do it for an hour or so. I, I actually don't put a timer, so I cannot give you the actual stats, but I do meditation as long as I feel like doing it. And it's usually, I guess, 45 minutes, but it definitely does not come easy. I remember at the beginning stages, I would have to push meditation into the end of the day. And, you know, it was kind of hard for me to incorporate that into my schedule, especially because high school is super stressful. But I would say once you start meditating, meditation will come to you. You will start incorporating it, whether it's in the morning or in the night. And I find meditation to be super good in the morning. Because it just sets your day on the right foot, and it's just personal choice. But then you should do it.
3: Oh, okay. Um, do you do it for as long as possible, um, like when your schedule allows it, or do you just kind of feel? Uh, do you just kind of feel some kind of like presence or something when you feel like you've finished.
2: I feel it's it's quality over quantity. So. Mm, I feel I feel like thirty minutes should be sufficient sufficient, but it's all about like relaxing. Once you come to this point where you feel like you have let go of everything, I think you should stop there, slowly rub your hands and then open your eyes and I think it's personal choice, you know, if you wanna do it for thirty minutes or so, but it's all about finding that point where you're completely relaxed.
3: Yeah, and you talked about um, how it was kind of a struggle at the start. Um, How do you suggest that people get into it? Uh, Do they start out with, like, five minutes or something? Or do you think people should just go straight in with 30 minutes?
2: Definitely start with five minutes or even three minutes. You know, keep on increasing gradually. And it's just, it becomes a process. You know, even 15 minutes every single day in a 24-hour day, it has its benefits and we realize that our minds have become more peaceful and we will experience true happiness. And not happiness like watching a favorite TV show or something. You know, it's, it's all about finding that true happiness.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, did you, do you think you saw any like tangible results um, that actually, tangible advantages or I guess positive results that happened in your life as a result of meditation?
2: Well, I, I'm i able to focus my mind on something. So I'm not sure if it's a placebo effect, but I'm sure that meditation, it helps me increase my test scores. Because oh. whenever you're stressed, your mind, it just goes all over the place. And even doing like a few deep breaths before taking an examination or something, that will really calm your mind and you will be able to focus and complete all of the test answers.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you do you think it's been like a huge factor that's really changed your life a lot, or is it something that's kind of subconsciously threaded your threaded its way through how you've changed your behavior? I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think meditation has played a huge, huge factor. Um, not only meditation, but walking, writing down. I noticed that recently, I've started writing down something on my agenda. And it's not a journal, it's actually my schedule, but I start writing things down. And I think it's all about you know finding happiness and whether it's sitting in a comfortable posture, but it's all about losing control of our mind and just relaxing.
3: Wow, okay, yeah. It's been great discussing the theme of uh, courage with you on our show today. And I really learned a lot about meditation from your segment and of course our guest from earlier. Yeah, someone who's pretty inexperienced in this kind of thing. This has been really interesting, and yeah, I'm excited to kind of look into it more. Um, As always, we give our thanks to Star Style Productions, uh, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment uh, crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Uh, Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For info on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs, go to our main site at www.BeTheStarYouAre.org. Speak up, speak out, and be courageous.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. Look at yourself